appreciate what you have. We're not all born the same. Welcome, Mere Mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information that is within to extract some themes that you might not have realized and to also talk about being an alien and being estranged. Indeed, we do have No Longer Human by Osamu Dazai. So this book was published in 1948 and it's about 169 pages in length. Took me three hours to get through in total. And it is a series of notebooks depicting the short life of a very troubled Japanese boy set in Tokyo after the uh, First World War, and his name is Obayoso. I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong. The the tale is basically from him as a child up into his late 20s, and we see as a child he's, he's very much troubled and he kind of feels like he doesn't fit in, so he becomes a kind of buffoon and a fool to... Uh, alleviate these worries that he has about not being normal he's not he's yeah he's just different from everyone else we see as he grows up he uses this as a shield and eventually he has some more serious problems where he starts to develop some destructive tendencies women booze partying that sort of deal in his uh i suppose an attempt to continually cover up this this feeling he has inside and this is happening when he's in university he has some suicide attempts and then ultimately he kind of finds a, a, a middle ground, a way to live in the world, but he's, it's a rather sad ending in total. So there are three notebooks which depict these various stages of his lives and it's got a real nice twist with another narrator, but I'll save that for in the observation section. Let's get on to the author, Osamu Dazai. That is the pen name of a man called uh, Shuji Tsushima, I believe, who lived from 1909 to 1948. So this book, I believe, was published just after his death. Um, and it is very strongly autobiographical, which is makes this tale even sadder because it is very, very intense and very uh, not, a, not a great way to live, not a, a pleasant life to live. And yet it seemed to be what he was, his his life. And so many of the events that occur in this are basically him just retelling what he did or what happened to him. So he died by suicide at the age of, of 38. And that's not particularly told in this book, but you get an idea of, okay, this, this guy actually had these troubles that this um, his character had. Some of the names of this uh, book were actually a failed human or disqualified as a human being. The translation I have by Donald Keane says uh, it it's called No Longer Human. Once again, the Japanese language is very, very tricky and we'll talk more about that later as well. Let's get on to the first theme I took from this, which is alienation, estrangement from a social group. What we see with this character, Oba, or Yozo is how I'll call him, is that it's inbuilt. The very first words of the book about uh, him talking about feeling estranged, he's not normal of, of being this kind of social outcast. He just has no connection with people, with no... He he kind he doesn't really understand how they operate. Why do they say the things they do? Why do they act this way? And it, it seems to be inbuilt. It seems to just be a, a thing that was from him from the very get-go. There is some hints of sexual abuse that happened to him when he was young, but I got the more feeling that that happened after, that uh, that, that was just something that happened to him and it wasn't the cause of this kind of social estrangement or this outcast feeling that he has. 
And this is, just produces a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety in him. So jumping here to page 25 and 26 when he is still a young boy, we, we see, okay, this is, this is how he feels. So I simply don't understand. I have not the remotest clue what the nature or extent of my neighbor's woes can be. Practical troubles, griefs that can be assaged if there only there is enough to eat. These may be the most intense of all burning hells, horrible enough to blast to smithereens my ten misfortunes, but that is precisely what I don't understand. If my neighbors manage to survive without killing themselves, without going mad, maintaining an interest in political parties, not yielding to despair, resolutely pursuing the fight for existence, can their griefs really be genuine? And then he's talking about how his are just so much more intense, like is he an egoist? Continuing on. The more I think of it, the less I understand. All I feel are the assaults of apprehension and terror at the thought that I am the only one who is entirely unlike the rest. It is almost impossible for me to converse with other people. What should I talk about? How should I say it? I don't know. This was how I happened to invent my clowning. And then he talks about how he managed to to alleviate this for a little while. So he's not comfortable ever. And as I'm reading, I'm getting a very Patri- Patrick Bateman-esque style. So this is the main character from American Psycho, if you know that, who's this guy where he's he's just, he, he lives in the world with human beings. He manages to survive. He can pay his rent. He can pay his mortgages. He can work in a company, but he's just not all there. There's just nothing kind of behind this facade of, of this human form that he has, an almost alien type feeling. And this book is very similar, thankfully, without the psychopathic tendency to want to kill people that is in American Psycho. Uh, and I think there's some other ways that this kind of shows up because he, he talks in the book, Yozo, about how he struggles more to connect with women. And I think this might be because they're kind of more irrational in a way you know they, they perhaps don't follow logic as much as uh, um, or they're very much more driven by their emotions and this is just you know known to everyone and I think this is maybe why he he struggles it's almost like he'd it's not that he'd prefer robots uh, and that he finds solace in engineering or tinkering or or things like this which are predictable and never changing it's more that he just doesn't he just doesn't understand the human condition. And this is, uh, I think, uh, what really does it for him is, is just this producing all this anxiety. And this is just negative. There's no, there's no positives that come from this. There is no, because he feels like this, it's not like he has now uh, savant-like uh, memory recall or the ability to understand robots or technology better than anyone else or mechanical things. No, it's kind of just a, a straight up negative downside to him. And it, it doesn't bring him joy to uh, find ways around this, which he normally, he kind of does through his acting um, and, and kind of womanizing because he, it's, it's very strange. He says he, he's like terrified by these women and by people, but he develops ways that kind of us normal ones who perhaps do feel normal or somewhat part of the social group would look at him and go like, man, I wish I was like him. I wish I had his abilities to be charming and funny and to say these things and make women laugh and get them to like me. And all of this, it's, it's really, he gets these kind of fleeting moments, which really leads on to the second theme that I have is liberation, re- release from imprisonment and impression. And what actually happens is he kind of makes his own prison, to be honest. And 
even though he does find a way to alleviate the feelings of being a social outcast of the the real intense apprehension anxiety and terror that we we heard in that quote before there is a, a somewhat of a, a price to pay for this as well and so jumping over to page 88 and 89 basically he's just tried to commit suicide for the first time with a woman by drowning themselves she is drowned and he is saved and now he's you know in the kind of police station and he's kind of maybe being charged as an accomplice to the suicide. This is just the rules and regulations, laws they had in Japan at the time. And he's kind of trying to play it up and get a bit of sympathy from this this uh, lawyer or this prosecutor who is um, uh, investigating him. And he's, he's found, oh, you know, if I accidentally bled onto this tissue, this handkerchief, I can kind of pretend like I'm coughing and I'm coughing up blood. And so he says... Uh, He seemed so simple and straightforward that I let down my guard completely. I was listlessly recounting my story when suddenly I was seized with another fit of coughing. I took out my handkerchief. The bloodstains caught my eye, and with ignoble opportunism, I thought that this cough might also prove useful. I added a couple of extra exaggerated coughs for good measure, and my mouth still covered by the handkerchief, I glanced at the district attorney's face. The next instant, he asked with his quiet smile, Was that real? Even now, the recollection makes me feel so embarrassed I can't sit still. It was worse, I am sure, even than when in high school I was plummeted into hell by that stupid Takaichi tapping me on the back and saying, you did it on purpose. Those were the two great disasters in my lifetime of acting. Sometimes I have even thought that I should have preferred to be sentenced to 10 years imprisonment rather than meet with such gentle contempt from the district attorney. And this is the prison he constructs from himself even though he, his acting abilities allows him to fit into the world, there's still this inner core of I'm not here, I'm not welcome, I'm, people are weird, they're strange, I don't know how to interact with them. If they see the real me, what's going to happen? And two people do see through the facade and funnily enough it's these kind of uneducated or simple people, uh, that being Takaichi, his his kind of uh, schoolmate from uh, from when he was a child who sees him exaggerating and is like, oh, I'm, I, I know what you're actually doing, as well as this um, district attorney or prosecutor, whatever it was. And this is where he goes, oh, like this, this, uh, this, he's created his own cell because now he's, he's made this facade and now it's even worse because when people see through it, it's like, oh, now he was acting on top of it. It's not, it's not even that they see the real him as well. They see that he was projecting and trying to hide that from everyone through this acting. So it kind of magnifies it. it. It makes everything worse. So how does he kind of try and get released from this prison that he's cre- created for himself? One of the ways he he somewhat managed to do this is through art. And he realizes, oh, I'm, I'm actually an okay artist. And so he starts painting and he creates these Van Gogh-like portraits of himself which he describes as you know the one of the first times he's really been able to express himself to be who he actually is and he loses these paintings and this you know causes him kind of some grief and sorrow uh, but he also then goes like ah, it, it doesn't really work for him he doesn't manage to go the full extent and, and use this and so he kind of finds a lesser form of this through cartoons which he can get paid for 
but even then these cartoons are kind of debaucheries they they end up just being like sex cartoons that he writes for like smutty magazines and he's kind of selling his soul through that so he doesn't find this release how else does he try and do it well through destruction and he does this through self-destruction and then also using another person to kind of enable him whose name is hariki and hariki is this guy that he meets and he's basically a perpetual bum uh always broke but knows all of the bars knows how to be cheap knows how to like where to get the cheapest alcohol how to get drunk off of the least amount of money and he kind of follows him and falls into drugs and then booze and then prostitutes and that's you know he'd sell everything just for this kind of next hit is what he says at some point where it's just the next thing to alleviate some of this pain and suffering and the problem with this is <laughs> it's just destructive behavior. It's it's killing his health. And the person that he is with, Hariki, is just a, a kind of like a bad human being, to be honest, because he takes pleasure in the destruction of, of Yozo. And we see this in one scene in particular where they're on the roof having some drinks. Uh, he goes down to get some food and then he comes up onto the roof kind of gleeful and he's like, come, come, you have to see this and walks down and shows him and they see through into the bedroom where his wife is being raped by a another store owner and is kind of like, ha ha, look what's happening to you. Like your whole world's going to destroy, like fall apart now. You think you found this beautiful lady and no, she's, she's just like, there she is getting violated. And so it's just really torturous. He's torturing himself and finally he, well, not finally, it's kind of mixed in throughout this. He tries to alleviate it through death. And so there's multiple attempts. I mentioned the at the start of how he tried to drown himself. He tries to take some pills at some point and overdose. That doesn't work. He becomes a heroin addict and is almost on, on the kind of deathbed. And at the end, we, we kind of see him and he's just, he's moved into the countryside. He's being supported by his family, but he's kind of, he's almost like just zoned out. He's just become this kind of blob of, of still probably some pain and, and suffering there, but just medicating himself to the utmost degree. And he describes right at the end how he's a 27-year-old who looks like he's 40, and it's just oof, oof, rough, very, very rough. So I'm going to jump to my observations and takeaways here. What you'll notice is his interaction with others. I think the root cause of a lot of his problems are his kind of personal boundaries. He doesn't have good boundaries. Obviously, he's got this inner feeling which he he can't get rid of, which he he can't just flip a switch and he's going to be normal anymore. But I think there are ways that those types of people perhaps can live in the world and he doesn't manage to find the way that works for him. And part of the reason for this is his personal boundaries. And so going on to page 157, 158, he's just uh, tried to overdose himself again. And basically he's being um, taken to a kind of sanatorium or a health center, basically a jail, but for insane people. An insane asylum um, is where he's going. And he's offered uh, from his Yoshiko, this was his wife, she offers him uh, a bag with the remaining medicine, i.e. the remaining morphine or heroin. And he says, uh, no, I don't, I don't need it anymore. This was really a rare event. I don't think it is an exaggeration to say that it was the one and only time in my life that I refused something offered to me. My unhappiness was the unhappiness of a person who could not say no. I had been in, 
intimidated by the fear that if I declined something offered me, a yawning crevice would open between the other person's heart and myself, which could never be mended though all uh, through all eternity. Yet I now refused in a perfectly natural manner the morphine which I had so desperately craved. Was it because I was struck by Yoshiko's divine ignorance? I wonder if I had not already ceased at that instant to be an addict. Now, that is definitely an addict thing to think <laughs> just because you declined the drug once that you're no longer an addict. But the the idea there is he to to kind of alleviate the suffering and pain, he's also tried to just do whatever he could with other people. If they offered him something, he'd always have to say yes. And so he never had any personal boundaries of, no, I'm not going to help you out in this case. No, I'm not going to give you money. No, I'm not going to spend time with you just because you asked. And I think this is part of the reason for why he struggles so much is he, he never manages to find that that boundary point. He also... Funnily enough, his, uh, his wife, Yoshiko, the reason he likes her is because she has this immaculate trustfulness is how he describes it. It's a really nice phrase. I quite like it, um, which he tries to kind of find salvation in because she is so accepting, so trusting. Even when he says, no, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to be um, uh, uh, sober for a while. And then admits, oh, I had some drinks last night. She's like, oh, you're just teasing me. You're just being so funny. And so he kind of finds this safe place as a haven with her, which then gets ruined when he realizes, okay, this trusting nature of hers has a downside where she invites this other guy into the house, not realizing like, oh, this guy could be a predator and I probably shouldn't be alone with him in a room. And yeah, then, then the violation occurs. What else can I say about this book? Well, it has impeccable style. I You probably realize this from a couple of the book reviews I've done on other Japanese authors, that being Yukio Mishima uh, I've and even uh, Haruki Murakami. I'm, I'm not sure I've reviewed any of his books on this channel, but I have read uh, a couple of them. And I really like kind of the Japanese authors I've read so far. They all have their kind of style and the, I think this could partly be due to the language as well. But there's just these human elements that I understood, that, but they were mixed with these real harsh intensities. Uh, the prologue, the way the book is set up is is just fantastic. It's got these two really, really short sections right at the start, right at the end, which is this unnamed narrator who encounters these notebooks and he gives a description of these three photos showing you know this young kid this university student who's super handsome and then this kind of like decrepit man uh, who's in his late, late 20s. And it, it just sets it up. It sets the book up so nicely for what's going to happen. You kind of you kind of get a feeling, but you, you're also wondering like, oh, how did he become these three photos? What was the journey that that uh, occurred to there? And then with the final ending of, of realizing, oh, okay, you know, maybe he wasn't such a bad person. People still liked him. And so all of this pain and suffering, it, it really was just inside of him. It wasn't because society threw him out as an outcast. It was kind of self-inflicted as well. Just beautiful, impeccable, impeccable style. And the only problem with the book is that I, it's hard to shake the feeling that nuances are getting missed. So I, I talked right at the start about how, you know, no longer human versus a failed human versus disqualified as a human being you know, they, they have subtle variations on just the title of, of kind of what you think of the book. And 
I've noticed this just as I was reading. There was a couple of sections where I went, I feel like I'm slightly missing something here when they were talking about the sexual assault that happened to him when he was really young. It's only briefly mentioned in the book, but I feel like the way it's presented in, in Japanese would give more context or would have a different flavor than, than what I received in the English version. And even just into the, the straight up grammar, uh, many of the pronouns used in this book, it's the, the style in Japanese doesn't have the same, you know, hi, I, me, we, he, sh she, her, that sort of deal. And I, I, I couldn't get exactly my head around it. I'd probably need to study Japanese much more deeply, but I do believe that even just the way the book was told will give you an, in, in Japanese will give you an extra different flavor because the, the author, the, the narrator um, is saying it in this way. And Yozo is describing his life in the slightly like maybe even de detached sort of way. It's really hard to tell, but it is definitely, I know I'm missing something. It's like, ah, I, I want to get at it. <laughs> so let's jump onto my summary. Wow. Wow. This book hits hard and yet it doesn't have the emotional burden that you'll find in perhaps some of the German or Russian books, which deal with pain and suffering and any even English books along the same star, um, the same sort of uh, topic, you know, suicide or mental health or feeling like an outcast. The Japanese style is just so elegant, elegant, impeccable, impeccable, immaculate. I think these are great descriptions of the, the Japanese style or at the very least the, the style in this book. And whilst depressing, there are moments of gaiety, of, of everyday problems, of just seeing like, okay, this is a, a normal guy. He's, you know, he's got his problems, but there's some solutions as well with this kind of foreshadowing of this impending doom that's coming along as well. Uh, I don't think you'll want to shed a, a tear of um, anguish for this, even though it is a, a harsh book, which you maybe find in more ones like the Gulag Archipelago, which is just like, God damn it, so much suffering like it's a tear of anguish you maybe would feel more a, a tear of, of pity or something like that just because there is this beauty in the writing which i i think changes the the feel you have at the end of the book so it's a beautiful book an amazing title written by a very unfortunate but a very talented man who um had a uh, uh, yeah, a hard life, a hard life. So Osamu's Dazai is no longer human and gave me a very solid 8 out of 10 to um, definitely worth checking out this. Uh, and would also say if you enjoy Yukio Mishima or if you enjoy him, it's, it's worth checking out those two authors because um, I have noticed that the Japanese books are, are, are very great for this. And that is it for today, my memorialites. Thank you for joining me to the end of this audio. What are your thoughts on Osamu Dazai, on being no longer human, on alienation and liberation from this social outcast feeling? I would love to know all of these thoughts. Best way is just to get in touch via any of the uh, links in the description down below. I really do appreciate hearing feedback of what you think of these audios and uh, of these book reviews. And I would just recommend checking out the Mere Mortals podcast as well. So there's the the top link there is um, will take you to our website. And uh, yeah, that, that podcast that I do with my co-host Juan, who also appears on this book channel, uh, is we, a lot of the ideas that we take from these books we talk about in conversations about how to implement this into your everyday life or things that we've learned from this that'll help us to uh, to try and be better human beings to not not no longer be human but 
uh, yeah, to be longer humans. <laughs> so I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Ciao for now, Kyron out.